<laughs> Starting in three, two, one. Hi, I'm Marcy. And I'm Akko. And welcome to the Color Pages Book Club, a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on fiction, fantasy, and magical realism written by writers from colorful backgrounds. Woo! Colorful backgrounds! That's right, y'all. We're colorful. We're backgroundy. Yep. Same. We're here. Same shit. <laughs> like almost 80 goddamn episodes. <laughs> almost Just, 80? Are you serious? I know. It's so... Wow. It's... Yeah. No. It's... Oof. It, we have been here. We have we been can't here. believe it either. I know. Like even the podcast, mm. even Color Pages Book Club, the director is like, huh, <laughs> y'all got almost 80 of these motherfuckers. Like that's wild. I'm like, yeah. The webpage becomes sentient. It's like right. looking at itself. <laughs> and it's like, wow, that's... Huh. Like episode, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. episode seventeen is talking to episode fifty one. Like, ha! Huh? So you, we really still in the game. Love that for us. Um, <laughs> episode twenty one's like to episode like thirteen. You lost the bet. <laughs> like, pay me back. <laughs> like they're like playing poker. It's like what is happening? I'm dead. Yes. What are we doing? Oh, yes. So today we're going to be reading my pick, <laughs> which is called um, The Whale Rider by Witi Ihimaire. Now, some of you are probably like, that's not The Bone People by Carrie Holm. I was promised The Bone People in part two uh-huh. of The Ghost Bride. And um, we know. Um, and we, we know. Will, we will address that in a moment. But before that, let's talk about Witi, the author. Now, Witi is a Maori author whose novels and short stories explore the clash between Maori and Pakeha, or sort of white or European-derived cultural values, in his native New Zealand. In The Whale Rider, Witi examines the dynamics of Maori society through the lens of a young girl who must, over- who must overcome gender prejudices to assume her place as the next leader of her people. And Nights in the Gardens of Spain concerns a middle-aged married man with children who actually comes to realize that he's gay. And some have actually noted that this novel might actually be somewhat of a biographical tale as Witi himself was married to a woman and actually later came out as gay. So, Mm. yeah, just some little context on Witi the author. Mm -hmm. He has other works as well. So multiple, multiple works, a lot of them focused on Maori culture and Maori existence and that intersection of European influence on the island of New Zealand and the Maori people. So mm-hmm. very, very interesting. Hey, Marcy, I have a question. Yes. What is your question, love? I know this is a little atypical, but weren't we supposed to be reading a different book completely? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> supposed to be reading like i mentioned <laughs> the bone people by carrie holm and um i think I, i'm just gonna surmise that your question for this week is um why are we not <laughs> talking uh-huh. about that and there's a lot to to discuss so just in the vein of being like fully transparent and just like yeah girl like i mean girl it's just a, it's a book club between me and akko like fuck we got to hide so basically what happened was <laughs> we, we read the first half of the bone people both of us mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll name my experience but when we when we talked we kind of had some similar sentiments reading through it basically just a quick super super quick sort of detailing there it essentially is about a woman named carrie who's sort of a recluse she's part maori she lives in new zealand and like basically she comes to meet this young boy named simon and his guardian named joe now basically simon has this whole past where like he was actually like on a ship at one point but the ship got like mm-hmm. shipwrecked and he like ended up being washed on shore and like joe saved his life and has been taking care of him ever since and so it's kind of carrie's relationship to the two of them as they like grow closer carrie is typically very reclusive it's kind of keeps to herself but simon and joe kind of build up you know some trust and they become sort of like a like a makeshift family which sounds mm-hmm beautiful sounds lit there's a lot of a lot of like kind of it's kind of exploring the similar tensions of like the intersection of sort of european and sort of maori like values and things of that nature and um sounded great execution um there was trigger warning take care of yourselves y'all um Mm -hmm. but there was just reading through it there was a lot a lot of child abuse in that shit 
Like Simon was legitimately in a very dangerous situation, largely at the hands of Joe. I would also argue somewhat to the, I I wouldn't say negligence, but like there was like a, there was a tacit knowledge among the community that like Mm -hmm. Joe was being abusive towards Simon. And I didn't feel as though the other characters, Carrie included, did enough to be like, this child's life is actually in danger. There wasn't an urgency to really address that situation, in my opinion. And it just kind of felt like abuse was handled in a way that was just not like responsible, in my opinion. It just felt very mm. like, like almost there was a there was a moment towards the end of part one where like Carrie and um and uh and Joe end up getting into this fight, and it's like this whole thing where like Carrie wins the fight, and it's like almost this like faux feminist like oh well like i beat joe's ass and like whatever whatever and then like the next day they're both weirdly talking about it and joe's like oh well see now that you got me together i guess you know we we can run the full gamut almost like kind of feeding into this toxic idea of like when you go through the worst of the worst with someone it brings you closer together and that's like mm-hmm. but that should not that physical violence is not a part of that you know what i mean like i think yeah. it, like it, I, it felt like it was being handled really irresponsibly and i just i i didn't even before Akko and I talked I was like I don't know how I'm even going to get to a part two like I got to the end of part one and was like I don't want to read any more of this right. um so when Akko was like what if we didn't talk about this I was like "Ooh, <laughs> I'm with you because honestly if you didn't say that I was also gonna bring it up my damn self um so we were thinking and we were like you know do we want actually let me pause because Akko you also were part of this as well so I, I don't want to like just completely summarize this so so I'll uh I'll let you jump in as far as like why we chose to not talk about it, talk about it at all, oh. as opposed to, um, yeah, just doing the part one and then doing this for part two or something. Right, right. So, so Marcy basically said everything, but just just to echo it, it's yes. As I was reading it, first of all, they, there's a lot to love about the book. I don't want to take that away from the author. She writes beautifully, astoundingly true. beautifully. Very, she, very true. Uh, she uses the Maori language in a way that's really beautiful and i actually liked carrie's characterization at first as a sort of recluse woman who wasn't following the i guess traditional trajectory of of womanhood and and being okay with that and i i found that really compelling and and interesting and i i at first was really enjoying this sort of ragtag team becoming a family Mm -hmm. at first there was presentations of masculinity that actually seemed quite healthy and there was presentations of Maori culture that was like, this is really interesting. And then I was like, wait a second. <laughs> uh-oh. And as we kept yeah. reading, I was like, uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. And I was like, well, so at first, b- because we never want to shy away from to- topics that are just real. Abuse is a real thing that happens. And it's a real thing that people struggle with in the culture. And we don't want to just pretend like it doesn't exist. And, and so mm-hmm. I struggled at first because I, I didn't want to just ignore something and not talk about it. But I think the problem we were having was we haven't talked about the Maori <laughs> culture before. Mm-hmm. So it would be very odd if we jumped in with this very heavy story of abuse of a Maori person against a European child and without any context of who the Maori people are and you know their long history and culture. It seemed a little bit irresponsible of us to do that. Mm. Um, and then not to say that cultures don't, you know, like, and they do talk later in the book about the systemic issues and where the systemic abuse comes from, which a lot of cultures do face because mm-hmm. systemic violence becomes domestic violence. That's true. It's true mm-hmm. across the globe. But it just didn't seem right for us to go straight to yeah. that place without ever talking about people you know what we are post-colonialism isn't all of us and and i think we are sensitive to that as minorities in america and being sensitive to that we thought okay that's the same sensitivity we want to bring to everything we read right to our Mm. point about the lens we talked about the beginning of the season you know to see each other through the lens outside of the colonizer and again that's not to take away from anyone who writes about these things in in their culture to express that reality Mm -hmm. but i think reading this it was hard to stomach (laughs) and it was hard as marcy said there was just i was like is there a point where someone's gonna and some people do kind of say something but it just wasn't enough yeah um 
so yeah, so we decided we were we were like, well, we could just read part one and then not read part two. But then we're like, well, what if we just read something else? Right. <laughs> because nothing is set in stone and we can do it's our book club and we can do whatever we want. And so right. we we are we apologize for the change in the agenda, although I, I'm not convinced the listeners are that pressed about it. I mean, maybe someone was like... <laughs> maybe didn't even thing. know at all. Like, would have just been like, right. oh yeah, this is totally on the book list. <laughs> For the, the 15 people who actually read our link tree, thank you. We appreciate you. <laughs> Sorry for the mishap. And again, we are not... We are not trying to dismiss someone's written work and their experience because like i said there was there are some phrases in that book that i highlighted because they were so beautifully written um yeah definitely but we just couldn't bring ourselves to do it so here we are we found this book it sounds really beautiful it's been really beautiful to read from where we started and so we figured let's start here yeah yeah so that's that I, I mean, I honestly don't have anything else to add. That uh, that is the the reason that we are doing this <laughs> instead. And I guess so. I will say so. It was interesting because I I want to say the well writer is like technically for like a younger audience, but like reading it, I was like, is it though? Like yeah. I don't know. Right. Like children's lit is an accurate way of describing. It, it feels a little more. Um, yeah, it, it seemed like for for a bit of an older audience, but that that was just I don't know, that, that was just my my interpretation. Well, here's my question. I know we haven't done the summary at all, but we're, so we can't be in the discussion question. But Akko has a thought um, for <laughs> so for someone who personally doesn't always love all the tropes of young adult literature. Not to say I have a problem with YA. Please don't come for me. YA is great. <laughs> but who sometimes feels like we decide or we categorize what a young person mm, you're right. Yeah. Can understand or what what you know, because I, I feel like for me, people would say like, oh that's too young. You're too young for that type of narrative. But then I needed that narrative as a young person because those things were happening to right. me i was experiencing those things so and especially when you you know young adult literature or stories haven't always been pc <laughs> the grim fairy tales mm -hmm. are not pc they're very violent yeah. because the idea is that you have to tell someone before it happens so that they mm. know that it could happen and so fairy tales you know to be functional in the societies in which they were told typically were dark and they were told to young people because young people experience tough stuff. Anyway, so yeah. I don't know if this, I also kind of agree this might not be YA because there's nothing that implies that it would be except I suppose the main protagonist who, to be fair, the, the narrator is not, I mean, I guess the narrator is 16 when the book starts. Okay, sure. Why not? It can, You know yeah. what? What are labels? What matters? Yeah. Nothing matters. <laughs> yeah, because... <laughs> <laughs> oh, nothing matters, correct. And um, like, so so um, all of that. And, 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 you know, when I was originally looking it up, I remember, um, I want to say it was like on, like I don't know, Amazon or somewhere. It was like, this is technically a book that would be recommended for like someone between grades four and six. And mm. just reading through it, I was like, I feel like the vocabulary... I, I wouldn't mm. place it there, but also to to your point, I'm like, well, I, that's me assuming what someone of that age cohort can understand and, and underestimating that, right? And so I'm like, I mean, certainly I wouldn't say that, like, I think, yeah, I think especially the further away you get from childhood, it is easier to kind of like be like, oh, well, I mean, can we, you know, and it's just like, well, I mean, but also people like, you know, they can engage with the media and decide, you know, this is for them or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, it, it's, mm. it's like, who am I to be like, oh, like, this is a little too advanced. It's like, well, girl, if I'm deriving meaning from it and enjoying it, like, fuck off. And it's like, fair. Honestly, fair. So, like, <laughs> Why is this, this child so aggressive? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I just don't even bat an eyelash. I'm like, they're like, please fuck off. And I'm like, absolutely, girl. Like, yes. Like, you're totally correct. <laughs> like, um, um, yes. A very so. wise children's theater individual told me, I won't name the person, even though they probably know who they are, told me <laughs> that children sometimes like to reach a little farther than they you know, and, and everything in their reading and mm. their learning and their understanding. And so, yeah, it honestly might be a little hard for them and that might be okay, but also right. it might not. And they might be like, I need to put this down and that would be mm. okay too. Yeah. So 
I don't know if our if we have a children's demographic, so I don't know how useful this is. But maybe you have a child, or you raise a child, or there's a child right. near you which Work you guard. With children, maybe, or something. Yeah, sure. In a library, I don't know. Anyway, children like to reach. Okay, um, we're gonna take a break, and yeah, then we're gonna come back. <laughs> we're just meandering <laughs> at this point. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> They're like they switched up the book, and then they lost their whole train of thought. Anyway, so when we come back. <laughs> We are going to summarize The Whale Rider. Yes. See you in a bit. We are. Ah, uh, yes. So we continued to meander for about 15 seconds. We were like, oh, God, the show. So we're back. <laughs> so, yes. So now I'm going to jump into uh, the very beginnings of The Whale Rider. So essentially, as you're going through part one, there's sort of two main stories. Well, mm, there's like the main story and like kind of a, like a, like a, like a, no, I want to say, anecdote? I want to say, a, yeah, like an anecdote. Yeah. Anecdote. Like I, I was like, yeah. I was going to say sub story, but that felt shady. So love that instead. <laughs> so I'll kind of start with the kind of um, anecdote that was taking place alongside the, what was the, the current goings on of the current plot. So basically the story actually initially started by, um, Kind of going into detail around some happenings that happened sort of in ancient times, like in many generations past. Essentially, we, we're greeted with all these beautifully, beaut- oh my God, beautifully written like descriptions of like yeah. nature and wildlife. Like literally, I was like looking, I was like taking pictures of the page left and right. <laughs> and so we're just seeing all these descriptions of like nature and wildlife and this sort of like group of whales. And we see um, sort of the first arrival of, of, of a man who was coming from like, I guess, from the east to essentially ride one of these whales, right? And so as we see the relationship between this man and this whale, and kind of by extension, the whale community expand, we see that there's very much kind of a oneness between the two of them. Like there's a symbiosis. There's very mm-hmm. much like a we are both consensually and like enthusiastically participating with, e- with each other. Frankly, yeah. I feel like the man in question is getting more out of the deal than the whale, but like, I mean, it's neither nor there, but like, it's fine. Anyway, <laughs> so basically we're seeing- I mean, apparently the- they speak. They can talk to each other. He speaks mm-hmm. the language of the whales. Yes, definitely. So they like literally can understand each other. And so we see in the lore that the man at one point had a bunch of spears at the um at, in his hand, and he was like throwing them in different directions. And like essentially, wherever the spear would land, like it would turn into forms of life. Like I think one of them turned into mm. a bunch of eels and like other just other other forms of life. And one of his spears wouldn't leave his hand. Like, he would try to throw it. It wouldn't leave. And he was like, oh, my God, a spear. And so, basically, he, like, prayed to, I guess, I don't like s- when someone won't leave your party. And you're like, Johnny, <laughs> it's 2 a.m. Go home. And Johnny's like, I don't know. It's like, I just, I'm just really having fun. I just, I'm really enjoying this conversation. It's like, Johnny, I need to <laughs> clean up and go to, like, I'm like I'm already not going to go to bed till like, 4 a.m. Like, please leave my house. I'm um, exhausted, Johnny. Right. So basically, Johnny, the man, and the whale were together, and like the whale and the man were like, "Girl, like, can you not?" But Johnny, in this case, was a spear, and so basically, um, the man was like praying and was like, "Okay, let's just hope that Johnny will just go off into the future and land where he is most needed, and where like basically just like show up and do your thing when when the time is right." Clearly, the spear wasn't ready Mm -hmm. to go yet. So when you're ready, come on back, and we will be good to go. And Johnny was like, "Bet." So cool. So that's the anecdote. So after this happens, the story kind of shifts a little bit, or rather the anecdote shifts a little bit to um, kind of getting the perspective of a herd of whales. Um, And one of the whales is actually a bull whale. And it's kind of just like, just sort of reminiscing on like on the sort of the halcyon days of the past when like, you know, whales and and humans were were one, right? So we're kind of seeing that Mm -hmm. there's definitely a shift took place at some point. So Mm -hmm. that's some helpful context that's actually going to be that's going to come up as we're going into into this piece. So pivoting to the main story. So our main character is actually named Kahu, um, who at the beginning of the story is not hasn't even been born yet. Um, <laughs> but basically, like the the narration is actually coming from her uncle, whose name is Rawi. Rawi is the younger brother of a man named Pororangi, who is sort of the I guess the kind of soon to be like leader of um, the village that they're living in. They live in a village called. Yeah. Um, Wangara. 
So basically, like that's Pearl Rangi's like whole tip. Now, the current leader of the village is a na- is a man named Koro, who is we have thoughts on Koro, like a lot of thoughts, <laughs> but that's He's the like that's a typical patriarchal great grandfather who favors men over women kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, basically, very much giving that, and and so, and he is married to, um, to a woman named Nanny Flowers, who is actually from a different tribe that is much more, uh, like she comes from a line of really strong like Maori women who it, it's more it's le- it's it's not giving that same patriarchal energy. So there's a lot of like kind of clash mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. relationship. So basically, anyway, so, th- so she's literally always talking about divorcing him. She's like, like literally- <laughs> him. The next day I'm going to divorce him. She never does. But we're like, we're glad it's on the table, nan- Nanny Flowers. Like, you could always, you know, roll up with some paperwork. She's like, oh, when I get these divorce papers tomorrow, 8 a.m., yo ass, divorce. <laughs> and like, it's just like this has been going. It's like a running gag at this point. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So anyway, so that's the kind of main cast of characters. Right. And so. Going back, so the main char- so the so the narrator rather, Rawi, his brother um, Pearl Rangi, is actually having a child at the moment, and this child will soon mm-hmm. become Kahu, is who the main character. Now, basically, we see sort of the, at the very beginning, like Pearl Rangi kind of calling Koro and Nanny Flowers to be like, "Oh my God!" Like you know, the child was just born; she's a girl. Da da da. And Koro was just like super upset because he's like, "I wanted a boy. Fuck you, mean she's a girl." And Pearl Rangi's like, "I don't like like that's not." Like I didn't do what? What do you mean? Like I, it's like I literally had no control. Okay, um, on the gender. Okay, um, I've done nothing it, except for it's like, it's like, it's like, like Coral felt like personally upfront. He's like, what you mean? Like like as if Coral Rangi literally just out of no, like just was like, I'm going to make sure that Kahu's a girl. Which even to the best of his intentions, he couldn't have even have done that. Also, we didn't even know Kahu's flowers is like Nanny Flowers is like, look, you know, women are strong in my line. So right, so, you know, what are you gonna do about it? So there's Here like this the whole... divorce papers, <laughs> right? So she's just like, so Coro's just like, I just, I can't believe this. Nanny Flowers is like that divorce is hitting that ass tomorrow, and we're all just like Nanny Flowers. Let's hope that this takes place, but you know, take your time, I guess. Regardless, so Kahu is born. Everyone, for the most part, people are like here for it. And essentially, Nanny Flowers ends up actually taking Kahu's afterbirth and she buries it on on um, on Wangara in sort of a secret location. And she shows Rawi and I think some of his friends where it is. I actually think it's his other brothers, cousins. Okay. It's people who are related to Kahu on Porongi's side of the family. That would make sense. Okay. So it was, yeah, it was Rawi. Yeah, definitely. So that cohort of people. And basically by doing that, Nanny Flowers was like, okay, Rawi, y'all, you and the miscellaneous other people who are here, all of you <laughs> must be Kahu's protectors and all of that. And they're like, I could cool, 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 bet. We should also mention that Kahu is actually, so that prologue we were just talking about at the beginning with the man coming from the East. And I believe that's a popular story in the Maori tradition. And so the mm. person who comes to this land is Kahutia Tarangi. And that's mm-hmm. actually, and that's the person who threw the spears. And so Kahu is named after him, which there was this mm. whole controversy because Nanny Flowers was like, I prayed about it. I went to the, we talked to the ancestors. We're good. And Koro's like, no, we're not good. You can't name her that. Yada, yada, yada tradition. Yada, 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 she's a girl. Yada, 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 yada. <laughs> and Nanny Flower is like, it's done. We did it. It's over. <laughs> right. So exactly. that's just some context, which will probably be important as the story goes on. No, definitely. Th- thank you for saying that. Yeah, super, super important. Um, yes. So all of that took place. Now, unfortunately, a few months after Kahu was born, her mother actually died mm. just from, you know, complications with, with, with childbirth and everything. And so her, so... Kahu's mother's mother, so I guess her maternal grandmother, um, decides that she wants to raise Kahu like in, in, in her village, which is separate from Rawi, Nanny Flowers, and all those other people. And mm. so, um, but Kahu does come over to um, Wangara, usually during the summers, to like spend time with, you know, yes. like uh, her, I guess, dad's extended family and stuff. So, meanwhile, in Wangara, Kahu's not really there for Rovero, but, you know, Koro, again, <laughs> he is the current leader of of the area, actually starts, like, a language school, and he's very much like, we need to preserve, like, Maori language and customs and culture, and, like, you know, we need to make sure that this does not go extinct. And while this is, like, you know, a good initiative, he's also like, oh, but, like, only men are allowed? Like, why would women be mm. a part of maintaining culture and language? Like, what? <laughs> and, like, Nanny Flowers is like, forbid. the divorce? 
is imminent. And we're like, Nanny Flowers, <laughs> let's hurry up. Let's make it happen. Please, my God, Koro is insufferable. And Kahu, when she does come back to Wangara, will be like, oh my God, the language school. Like, yes, God. Granted, she's not saying that because one, like, I mean, she's like, she's like a whole Two. one years old. Like, she's not doing all that. <laughs> but she's giving that, right? And then Coral's like, she's a girl, blah, 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 blah. Like, she's a girl, blah, 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 all that shit. So the unfortunate piece about all of this is that, like, Kahu actually really takes well to Koro. Like, she really loves Koro. Well, and, like, I don't know. She very much, like, strives after his love a lot, even though he is Mm -hmm. very, like, just, like, openly spiteful towards her. Like, not even tries to, doesn't even try to hide it. Like, will actively just be, like, shitty towards her. Just because he's so disappointed that she is, like, the eldest child. um, and, And she's not a son. So... While Koro is a complete, uh, is kind of, well, not even kind of, just is an asshole. Like, you know, Rawi is like, well, let's not do that. And like, you know, he'll take Kahu mm. around and like, you know, they'll like, like he'll take her like to her, to his job. And like, at one point, like he actually went to the movies, which was actually like super cute because like, um, there's a whole story where like his date who was supposed to go to the movies, like kind of dished him. So he's like, I'll just bring Kahu instead. And then <laughs> I was like, isn't Kahu like a smooth too? And he's like, I mean, like, I just feel like we could just share the popcorn and the, and the goddamn, you know, like wappas or whatever is like and then nanny's like like are y'all y'all really gonna eat chocolate malt balls <laughs> the theater, like, that's, what we're, that's what we're doing um but 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 certainly the two of them are very close rawi and, and can Kahu. i just say yes he snuck her in the way you sneak in food from outside the theater like <laughs> like he really put her under his jacket and like walked in and was like whatever no one's gonna know i was just, like that's <laughs> I was like, I guess she must be the size of like a very like a small bucket of popcorn because he really did just <laughs> take like he was like one ticket it. please and everyone was like, right. just none the wiser no one had any idea <laughs> so and, and frankly someone cute. should have had an idea because this movie was actually really traumatizing and it was it was yeah. talking about um just kind of like the story around like um like the movie was just around like, around whales and like I'm not sure if the goal was to talk about like like the goal was to kill a whale or if a whale was just killed in the story unclear. Mm. But regardless, Kahu sees this. Mind you, Kahu's like two years old and is like devastated. She's like crying. She starts to like make this noise that like I I think personally, I mean, I think it's safe to say that she's like mimicking sort of whale language here. But like essentially she's like making this noise that like Rawi can't really place. And he like goes back home and is like, and like um, Nanny Flowers is like, <laughs> you, you took my baby to a damn theater? And like literally just went in on that ass. It was actually, it was some shit out of a comic book. Like I was like, Nanny, it was like some kapow, boom, like hi <laughs> type shit. Like it was very like, oh my God. Um, yeah, it was wild. But um, that's kind of sort of what, what took place there. So, so certainly some kinship between the two of them. So Akahu is probably communicating with whales because she's taken you know the ancestral tradition of the person she's named after mm-hmm. this has not been revealed yet but i think we could see it coming spoiler and so she's probably... <laughs> like we haven't even been spoiled because we like we i mean we could, we be, could wrong, be wrong right? but like are we right. like no, and so yeah, yeah. she's probably and there's a point where where he <laughs> sees kahu on the beach rawi sees kahu on the beach and there's like some whales there and they, they kind of just go off into the distance and he's like huh interesting anyway so as Riley gets older, he just <laughs> like all the right, clues I mean, are there. Pretty, I don't even think even the writer was like, I wasn't trying to hide it, so it's in the text for a reason. <laughs> anyway, so Riley gets older and he decides he wants to see the the world a bit. So he travels to Sydney, Australia. As you know, they're in what uh, current day New Zealand, so it's pretty close to Australia. So they go to Sydney. He mm-hmm. goes to Sydney, and he goes there for about four years. And he meets up with several of his cousins and notes how they are kind of at the intersection of assimilation and Maori culture, which I feel like every immigrant kid deeply mm. understands. Both this desire to become part of the dominant culture, or that I don't know what we what what was portrayed as quote unquote modern, but also this deep sense of selfhood and your culture and your ancestry and your people and asking after them and feeling both the tug of that, that identity as well as the tug of, you know, your youth, modern, whatever. I didn't see. Mm. There's books about it. 
Someone just got triggered. I know. See your therapist. Talk to your friends. I know. I feel it too deep inside myself. Okay. So anyway, he then, after a while living, <laughs> it's a struggle I understand. So he, he after a while living at mm-hmm. Sydney, he starts to live with his friend, Jeff. And the two become quite close. And you find out that Jeff's family is from Papua New Guinea. And you think, oh, of course, two minorities in Sydney, Australia. Woot, 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 woot. Our struggles are global. Oh, wait, Jeff is a white man, which wouldn't be a problem, except one day his mother calls and he's like, hey, your father needs help running the farms or like the the farms. She's like, yes, the coffee farms. And you're like, uh, oh, well, how did you? And then she makes some disparaging comments about the locals. And you realize that these aren't farms, they're plantations because Jeff's parents are plantation owners and Papua New Guinea, and likely the remnants of a colonial past that still stretches on into the early 21st century. And here we are in 1987, dealing with the long, drawn-out tradition of colonialism. So Jeff's like, well, I should probably head back and take up my mantle as the new face of oppression. Rowie, do you want to come hang out with me for two years? And Rowie's like, sure, I wasn't doing anything here. So they return to Papua New Guinea, and... His mother, Jeff's mother, is immediately just very racist. She's clearly upset that Rowie is dark-skinned, and it makes it very well-known yeah. to everyone, including the people in her book club, apparently. Rowie and Jeff sort of spend two years together, and it's starting to become more and more tense. Um, Jeff is kind of being pulled towards his white socialization, and Rowie feels himself kind of growing closer to the Papua New Guineans, no. Um, in particular, he gets close to one of the people who works on the plantation, Bernard. And so there's that kind of rift between the two of them. They still care about each other, but things are getting tense. Rowie's kind of like, I kind of want to go home. Like, I'm feeling really out of place, out of sorts. Mm-hmm. So one night, Jeff insists that he and Rowie go with his mother and father to this country club, this dinner party. <laughs> And oh God! <laughs> we knew that was the problem. We were like, "Ugh, we got three forks." It was already going to be a problem. Right. Anyway, so they head out to that party. It's awkward as per usual. <laughs> and then, as they're driving home, it would have been an inoffensive, awkward <laughs> moment. But then, oh God. as as they're going home, by the way, trigger warning. Give yourself a second. As they're driving home, Jeff runs over a man not just a man it's bernard who works on the plantation yeah and basically for reasons i guess could only have to do with white supremacy the mother and father are like no don't say anything don't get out of the car to help him don't do anything just drive away it doesn't matter he's a native anyway and you're like what is happening i want to say there was a uh, specifically Jeff's mother, Clara, I think her name is, said something to the effect of like, oh, like his people are going to come after us. Like, this is a bad, like, I think there yes. was like this weird racist, like mysticism fear going on of like, oh my God, oh, they're yeah. going to come get us. And it's just like, what the fuck? He is clearly dying. Like in so much pain. Please right. call and also someone like the hospital. <laughs> call like, an ambulance. Yeah. So, yeah, it was this weird thing like we have to be afraid. We have to be afraid because his his family could come after us. We have to go. And you're like the violence has already been done and I got to tell you it's not it's not the Papua New Guineans. Right. Okay? So let's just be clear. So Rai looks over at Jeff and realizes like in that moment that he is going to accept the privilege of his whiteness and he's going to drive the car off and leave this man to die and he's like that's first of all shouldn't be running over people second of all that's not a stranger that's bernard right y'all literally they know walk, him right, like they literally know him it was dark so Raleigh's like well he's accepted you know the inheritance of his colonial privilege mm. i don't think this is gonna work for us anymore so yeah. he and plus he's like honestly i just miss home and this is not sitting right with me so he heads back home and he notes that he'd been like writing letters to his brother um and he says like really sweetly like, his brother really always made him feel like he was gone but not forgotten so mm-hmm. he was telling him about kahu's progress and about how she's doing she's in school she's been coming to live with um porongi more often and now permanently and then porongi actually 
got remarried and now they have a second child who's also a girl. Hey. Hey. Um, fuck it up. <laughs> so <laughs> Koro is even more upset about this. He was really hoping for a male descendant. And Kahu doesn't really mind. She still really loves her her uh great grandfather, uh Nanny Flowers is taking care of her, the school's growing. Um Koro I think is getting more and more upset because he he feels like time is passing and he's one of the few ancestors or older people who can pass on the tradition before you know it's lost forever so he's becoming really intense about about these schools and everything but he's still very focused on it being about men which is upsetting and that's where we kind of leave off in part one so so we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we are going to talk about our thoughts and feelings yes sounds good see you on a bit we're back we are woo um yeah <laughs> why <laughs> yes <laughs> um we appreciate y'all um i know that's interesting to hear but we do um okay so <laughs> they're like you better appreciate us because these transitions are not where they need to be it takes a lot of love to listen to this shit <laughs> <laughs> okay um so starting off i really like this book i like it a lot i i first i it felt very familiar to me because of the oral tradition that i think is baked into the writing here i think mm. the author is trying really hard to do that and i feel it and i sense it and i see it and it made me feel very warm and fuzzy so i i, I really liked it i liked how the story doesn't start with people and i like Mm. that it doesn't even start with kahu because and the author does talk about how maori culture is more communal and a lot of cultures before the enlightenment period just globally are more communal focused and less individualistic i think is it the renaissance that is focused on the individual that was a big you know thought experiment anyway um not the point Mm -hmm. but and he he talks about that tension and having that tension in his writing. And so it felt very familiar to me and probably to a lot of people to start the story, first of all, with the ancestors and then with nature and then with the family and then with the individual mm. as in, as if for context to say that we are part of something bigger. And so this, this person who's about to be, who's about to be the protagonist isn't just the protagonist, but it's like a accumulation of, of us. Mm. Um, even in the sense that, you know, ancient Kahu threw the sphere all the way back in time. And actually when Kahu present Kahu is born, it's like she hears the sphere or the whole culture, everyone in the <laughs> the city or the village hears the sphere Mm-hmm. And the whale saying, it's done, it's done in, in Maori, which I thought was really cool. So, and also that repetitive language where a, a chapter is ended with, a, a, you know, they say it's done and so it is. And that's very oral traditional. Mm-hmm. It's a very oral traditional thing to do. And it's very, because, right, the story, a story is supposed to, one, if it's an oral tradition, you have to say things repetitively because it's it's you have to get people to remember it <laughs> too it's not just a story <laughs> you know <laughs> although people got better memories than us now but people be forgetting anyway yeah. but the other thing is it's not just a story it's not just a story it's a reality you're you're like we talked about meaning making or mean you're making meaning you're passing on the the realness of your existence of everything that's happened mm-hmm. and and in that i feel koro's fear and his what's it called earnestness to mm-hmm. have everything he knows passed on because he sees himself as an ancestor who needs people to know so that they don't lose who they are. And, and a lot of post-colonial cultures feel that tension, feel that pain, that need to pass things on and that fear of losing culture. And that part really, really stuck with me when he, there's a line he was talking about the oceans and um 
how there used to be guardians. Actually, it's my quote, so I'll just say it now. Mm. But he's, he was teaching at the, the school. And he said, listen, boys, he said his voice was haunted. Listen, once there were many of our protectors, now there are few. Listen how empty our sea has become. It's just mm. and that feeling of things being out of whack ever since, you know, this event that so many cultures feel. And maybe it was, maybe event is too, you know, it's not a dichotomy, but this loss of the way things were, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. whether, regardless if they were good or bad, but they were at least, there was a way things were that they aren't any anymore. And with that, it, you know, for a lot of cultures, there's an environmental or ecological aspect to that. It's not just me and you and our kin, but mm-hmm. also our the the system, the ecosystem as a whole. Because at the beginning of the story, there aren't any people in it anyway, and it's right. still alive. It's still sentient. Mm. The story is still talking, <laughs> you know, and that voice in the way that's kind of represented in the whales. So I, I really love that aspect of it. I, I really think the author pulls in that tension and that beauty in a way that was uh, really resonated with 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 me, and I'm sure with a lot of people. And he he just does it so melodiously as oral mm-hmm. traditions are wont to do and um yeah hmm. what were your thoughts marcy yeah i i share a lot of those sort of those same thoughts and, and appreciations you know I, I i similarly i also really enjoyed this well i'm you know enjoying it thus far um to your point what i really liked about sort of the nature descriptions was that it really I feel like it framed like the compassion around whales and just the tragedy around like sort of the severing of that relationship. And and, 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 I mean, yes, like there's a greater social colonial context that's like facilitating that, but really just like the, that you you feel kind of the urgency of that kind of loss of a relationship. Mm. And you really start to kind of, and I, and I don't want to say this as some, in a way that sounds like, I don't know, almost like, like, cultural appropriative or anything like that but like i feel like for myself like they were like when they were like you know in the movie theater for example and they were describing how like the whales were being killed or even like when koro when he wasn't being an asshole was like oh my god like here's the tragedy of all these whalings and like these killings and like you know he talks about how him himself growing up it was almost like a source of pride like people would kill whales left and right it was like this whole event it was like super Mm. like people were really about it but then getting all of these different like you know the these kind of the the story at the very beginning you seeing everything from the whale's perspectives as well like it's like they're very much characters in the story too and it's like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you see you feel the tragedy of like damn like y'all are just killing them for like no reason and like literally y'all were one like there was an egalitarian mm-hmm. equal relationship here and it's just being severed for what <laughs> like you know it just for and what? i think yeah it it, it really i think with those descriptions of of nature and of whales and just other really really whales and specifically i feel like it kind of framed like for the reader there was like this kind of additional context that allowed for more compassion towards their plight and i thought that was really really just done very seamlessly and i thought that was really really cool um i think that the story i There's something about it that, like, I'm like, yeah, like, there's, I, just the feeling of being among people where it's like, okay, we have this shared culture and, like, all of that and, like, just, like, the daily, like, kind of bouts of ridiculousness <laughs> and shenanigans and, like, whatever, but, like, just kind of that feeling of home, I feel like, was also yeah painted really well, like, especially when um Rawi left, like, you could, re- like, in those letters and, and everything, you could really feel, like, damn, like... It's a whole cast of characters at home where like y'all are just cutting up and I'm just in Papua New Guinea like with racists like you know what I mean like it's just like oh like I want to be at, like I feel like there was the the the, the not the, even new age racists like they're the traditional like not even racist. trying to code the shit like just real one on one with it and I'm just like y'all y'all ain't even doing the racism masterclass where you had like I don't know go mm-hmm. to the next level like I don't know what is happening but anyway I feel like the the feeling of home was just portrayed really really well and I just I really liked um all of those descriptions and I mean I'm hoping that everything with Koro can like turn around but I'm also like uh I don't know I feel like I mean Kahu is like clearly lit and about to like fuck it up but like I'm also just like it's it, 
it, I feel like it, what's going to happen is that like Kahu is going to be like extraordinary, like you know, reconnect folks to the whales, and like there's going to be this like u- reunification of their relationship, and then after completing this like huge feat, then um, Coral will be like, ugh. And I was over here pressed because you were a girl. I welcome you into the family, and it's like, but see, why? But see, why does Kahu have to be exceptional to be acceptable? Like, why can't she just right. have existed and be been enough? Herself. Like, why do we make it seem like you have to do so much to prove that you're worthy? That you're I feel part. like that's also really yeah. pernicious. So, like, I don't know. That's kind of a piece where I'm like, do we? Like, why is that, you know, like this, like this, at this point, you know, this young, this young girl has to be exceptional to be equivalent to these like mediocre ass men who are, I'm, I'm sorry, are y'all, are y'all like reconnecting with, are y'all doing the, the, the work? No. <laughs> are oh, y'all talking to whales? You're doing anything, you're just, you're just, no? just okay. chilling. No, you're just, no. Uh, no uh, no? okay interesting 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 also i don't know i'm sorry but like coral really sitting here being like damn the whales like is tragic but i'm like so you can see it for whales but not women like make (laughs) it make sense like like i just can't um anyway so those are my thoughts around that (laughs) no you're definitely right coro is definitely problematic i think i think (laughs) though what i (laughs) he's just kind of out of line but i do think what i love about the story and i think what is true about uh, a lot of cultures before they adopted such a patriarchal custom not that other cultures were not patriarchal before colonialism again yeah that would be inaccurate but i do think Nanny Flowers makes a lot of sense as a there was a lot of matriarchal energy in the oh, world definitely. prior to I think the modern era that we live in now and I think people I think a lot of modern European western feminism kind of erases it because in a sense Nanny Flowers always cares about Kahu to the point that she's like, I really just don't care if the men don't care <laughs> because your authority isn't that powerful. I mean, yeah, you can keep her out of your institution, but I, you know, like Kahu's taken by her matriarchal family. Like they go and they take her away and they raise right. her and then she comes back. And, and, and the thing is, I think when a community is clan or clan based or community based, patriarchy isn't the strongest factor in a relationship because Mm. it's about the whole clan so matriarchal power has power as well you see what i'm saying and and there is when when there are clan-based things it's also the sense that you could say well my line is like this (laughs) and Mm. it's almost like a meeting of two households but you still always have the strength of your community which in a way Mm. in a sense gives you an, a power equity power and that's not true of all places <laughs> or through all time spaces but it's not an uncommon social structuring gotcha. um and it's not uncommon it's not common even just to polynesia it's a lot of places mm-hmm. i feel like they're like Ako, do you just not want to tell us about how it's similar to your culture and you don't want to out what your culture is <laughs> maybe but no one asked you listener <laughs> i mean i thought it but In see case, we've talked about it y'all don't know <laughs> So, <laughs> y'all don't know you don't know me anyway but it's a lot of places so and and so it's not to say that there's not sexism which i think is what the author is trying to get at here and right. i still think marcy you're going to be right about her being exceptional and then koro koro accepting her which is, is going to be an annoying trope that hasn't happened yet but we probably will see it <laughs> um but i do think there's still a lot of strength <laughs> in nanny flowers i felt i i really like Ra- rawi i think mm-hmm. he's a very I, it's a very healthy masculinity. His love Definitely. for Kahu, his his he's just very affectionate. Um, uh, poor Runki is very affectionate too for the little that we see of him. So mm. I think that stuff is really really beautiful. And I think I, I was thinking about how we evolve or become inclusive without using like the European progress narrative of like Mm. these cultures are behind and these cultures are ahead and i think the author is kind of doing that yeah by like taking this issue he's clearly talking about sexism but placing it into context of both like well we have strong maternal matriarchal figures but no there really is an injustice here Mm -hmm. so let's talk about it 
I, I it kind of makes me feel like all boys aren't blue. A similar like, okay, we have this issue, but in context of our culture, it's not like we are we don't hold space for people, but we could still address this issue. You know, that's how I was feeling when I was reading it. And I, I, I'm starting to really like this idea of us talking to ourselves in our own culture without comparing ourselves unnecessarily to European culture or in that progress narrative where, you know, needing right. their progress to be progressive. Definitely. What were they going to say? And I don't want people to think that I'm saying that under colonialism, we don't have agency, right? I, I think Koro's point about, but we hunted the whales. Like, we know the importance of the whales, but we hunted them anyway. And mm-hmm. under a capitalist structure that forces us into, like, these models of, like, over overfishing or, and selling in excess. Mm-hmm. Yes, those are all factors. And, and those are all things that happen. And those were all power structures that influenced our decisions and changed our way of thinking. We now will never know what we would have been without that disruption. And that mm. disruption was, was very violent and hostile. And like, as you see with Jeff and his family, <laughs> long lasting, this book was written in 1987. So it's not to erase the agency of people, but it is to mm. address the reality of what occurred. Um, yeah. yeah, I was going to jump to a completely different topic, but I know I'm supposed to let things sit. I've been to- told. <laughs> so <laughs> what were you going to say, Mercy? <laughs> yeah, I just I wanted to just say I it, it was really just me like living for. I really appreciated what you said as far as. Uh, well, first of all, shout out to comparative literature, that moment of like comparing <laughs> to All Boys Are Blue. Like I was like, wait, I, I love this idea of like. You know, we're talking about, you know, issues that may exist within a community, but it's, it's, it doesn't mean that we also don't hold space for these same people in different ways or the, or maybe, the you know, like it, it doesn't speak to a, like an entire determination of a whole group. I, I think that's kind of, mm-hmm, the, you know, mm-hmm. sort of the byproduct of, you know, these sort of colonial white supremacist kind of models of thinking. It's like when you frame a progress narrative that centers whiteness and, you know, European standards, it's kind of like, okay, well, it it allows like a staticness to be Mm -hmm, the diagnosis mm -hmm. of how other groups of people handle sort of intra-community issues. It's like, oh, we're forward, you know, these groups, these communities are backwards or, you know, they're really conservative or Mm -hmm. like, you know, like it, 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 it allows, it's, it squashes any nuance that might exist or any kind of yep. intracultural um, like discussion discussions or modes or realities that actually speak to yeah. a level of even if we assume a progressive like your stereotypical progressive model that's actually much more progressive than anything you would yeah. find yeah. with sort of your generic white category right like it's just like I, I think that it 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 squashes people and it and it makes it seem yeah. as though they are they're it. It it le- it kind of paints this almost like inflexibility of thoughts or or of, mm-hmm. of, of compassion or how we capture people in a way that is not lost to me that that kind of speaks to almost this almost intellectual like superiority of like oh we're so progressive yeah it, almost like this like this kind of primitive like oh you, these folks are more like I don't know it, it makes me think a lot about just like biological racism and like i don't know this like primitive mm. models and like framing people as somehow evolutionarily not as advanced like it, it, like i mean that's like a whole reach like but it makes my mind go there as far as like it, right. it paints almost like a category like just this categorical difference between like us and them kind of thing and i'm just like and yeah, that's, yeah but that's just what i was gonna say i don't think that's a reach marcy i think i think it's hard to think about because we've been raised in this but Think about it. It almost is a justification for for European colonization, right? Like, mm. but it progressed the people. And if this idea is that we were backwards before they show up, which is like, I mean, you kind of see that when you look at, at the UN and the way a lot of global institutions work to be like, we're helping this group of people who would be backwards, but for us coming in. And you're like, well, what were they doing before? Like, right. the, 17th, <laughs> like... the 17th century. And they're like, we don't know. <laughs> like, turns out they had like all sorts of stuff going on. So it's like, it, right. It's justified. It's this sort of, you know, manipulation in which you create a people stuck and flattened in time 
either presently or in the past, and you say, this is all they could be. This is all they were. They were never going to think, if we hadn't come along, they never would have opened up their culture to Mm. let women do things, or they never would have accepted queer folks. And you're like, are you sure that that's true? Are you sure that in the interaction between, you know, the colonizer and the people, certain metrics of success were not adopted? Are you sure that gender norms were not flattened into a binary like are you sure Mm, right (laughs) you know um did your violence not perpetuate the flattening that you are now criticizing ask yourself i don't care but the other thing i wanted to say which has nothing to do with colonialism is the fact that i really (laughs) love the way topographically or geographically someone's gonna be like topographically is not the word geographically (laughs) the ocean is described in this novel Mm. because i guess i'm gonna come back to colonization but in the western world the ocean is something you traverse to get to another place in this book the ocean is a place it is a place come on you know it's and and that to me was so beautiful i mean i think a lot of people are going to be like well that's just our reality as polynesian people and that's fucking amazing Mm. (laughs) that's fucking rad and i love that is what i'm trying to say i have such a respect for that and i was like i did not know this and i did not think this way i I had an inclination that the ocean could be a place in the same way land is a place and i had inclination Mm. of course that the polynesians were great seafaring people but when he writes it this way, you see that it's not, it's not, it is a way of thinking that makes the ocean a place. That mm-hmm. makes it like, well, this is our ocean, this this part of the ocean is our ocean with our guardians. And so that I feel safe in this ocean. And so that it wouldn't be any stranger for me to explore this area or go this, jump into my, my, my boat and go this direction as it would for me to go outside and take a walk in a, in a, in a forest mm-hmm. that I know. That's real. And that shows you just that work to like change my way of thinking made me able to understand and like be in someone's shoes and be like yeah that's why you would do that and the the logic of their of anyone's choices would make more sense to me and like because i've my framing has changed and i really fucking like that <laughs> i really enjoyed yeah. that moment because i felt for a moment i could connect with someone that i i hadn't i hadn't been able to before i guess i don't know whatever it was really fun i enjoyed it okay (laughs) so there you go (laughs) i Um, yeah i didn't even think about that nuance but yeah as you're saying it i'm like i also really enjoyed that too Uh, love that love that this is also kind of a little bit of a pivot um slash i guess kind of sure of a quote maybe moment but like i also just love the use of um oh god i'm gonna sound like someone's fucking literature class like english class but like i just felt like the use of automatopoeia was really cool like i, <laughs> I liked, love it <laughs> like i liked just like the weird sound effects throughout the book i'm actually gonna uh pull up a passage really quickly just to showcase what i'm talking about okay so for context this happens after um rawi takes kahu to the movies they're like kahu's like traumatized um he comes back and basically like is like here nanny flowers here's kahu like you know whatever whatever and like basically she kind of like goes in on him a little bit so this is kind of what the passage reads so in context she's speaking about um nanny nanny is starting at this passage speaking about Cora, who she's again about to divorce so she's like i've had enough of him divorce tomorrow i mean it this time <laughs> <laughs> then she remembered something and after taking kahu from me screwed my ears ouch and and that'll teach you to take my grandchild gallivanting all over the place i've been scared to death where where'd you go uh to the movies to a picture bang came her open hand over my head and then where um down to the beach the beach i ducked her (laughs) (laughs) um i ducked her hand ha 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 you missed me you missed but kick came her foot to my behind don't you do that again she hugged Kahu tightly and took her into hers and Koro Apirana's bedroom and slam went the door. Just like I loved that. There was like another piece earlier in the book where like um, Nanny Flowers was like angrily um, handling some dough while like she was talking to Rawi. And like at one point it was like Squelch went the dough as Nanny did this. And then Squelch became help me, which became I'm screaming or something like that. It just like it like the dough started <laughs> to have thoughts. Like it was like help me with the dough as blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, the dough didn't 
not say help me girl like <laughs> like shut up like it's just like just moments like that I just found so it's just very endearing and it just it, it, again it very much gave me kind of like comic book energy and I was just loving just how like I just yeah just love the animation of like I love when things are right. like I'm I'm really about to sound like an English major but like I really love when things that aren't animated become animated. I love when like writers mm. are able to like give personality to just really mundane things. Like this like the door which I wouldn't have otherwise given a fuck about like played a like had a personality like became part of like Nanny <laughs> Squad. Like right the doe was like telling a story as she was like you know it just I love I love things like that. I find it very very just like fun. Right. So it brings life to people, right? Because there's a comedic element to individuals and culture. So mm-hmm. reading that and you can like, you just like feel it, right? You just, and obviously, just to be clear, Nanny Flowers and Roy's little like tiff wasn't like a real thing. This was like right. a real playful situation just to differentiate the scenarios here just Definitely. for context. Kind of going back to our piece earlier around nature, I also, it's not lost on me that like kind of this, um, I don't know, just ascribing life to what's going on around yeah to honor sort of a sense of i don't know just like a yeah just 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 like a sense of life or maybe vivaciousness or maybe there's just more underneath Mm -hmm. the surface i feel like it's it's kind of a nice illustration of like oh yes we're all existing in concert with the things going on around us there's an appreciation for 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 the land for the sea for like everything that's taking place around us and we're not taking this for granted so like i feel like that kind of like a mentality that centers the community and seeing the land, the, 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 you know, like the nature, the wildlife, everything that like is a part of that space. I feel like that kind of collectivist thinking also, I mean, it, it makes sense that like, you know, in this instance, the doe would have like, have like a personality or like, just, I don't know, there's this, this, this kind of personification. Right. I feel like, I feel like that's a nice, I don't know, it's a nice kind of exemplification of, of just some subtle ways that that can show up, just in even like the writing style and how things are characterized yeah. and how nothing is fully just like inanimate. Like everything has something. Yeah, because so, uh, I think yeah. I think you're really speaking to like, right, because the tradition we have now is there's, there's like objects and we act upon the objects and everything is just kind of statically there, right? Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, that's sure, that's one characterization of the world, but you could also characterize it differently right you know it's just like different languages it's easier to jump to different metaphors because things are characterized differently right Right. like if your language centers other things as having agency not agency agency is a strong word but you know like life (laughs) being more than just you know people everything that breathes and stuff it's a easier metaphor to make right yeah so the way you your culture sees things and the way your language says things influences the way you write fiction right i just on Mm. a fundamental level anyway so i don't think that's an an entirely wild assumption um and i think there i i do feel like you're feeling a similarity to the way that the author writes i'm feeling it i think there's just it has to do with a lot of cultures not necessarily describing the world as stagnantly as maybe other cultures do Mm. that's what i would say okay well if you're like gee whiz you guys are talking about (laughs) maori culture then you're talking about english now you're talking about plu plam kaboom i don't know about (laughs) (laughs) another for me (laughs) another listener is like isn't this supposed to be about the bone people Um, anyway if you like this long in the episode they're like i just feel like for a bone people episode they barely really talked about that book Can you imagine? Anyway, oh um, if you have thoughts or feelings, um, you can let us know at our Twitter at the Color Pages or at our Instagram These Color Pages, or you can go to our website thesecolorpages dot com and see half of our episodes betting on with our other episodes about how long we'll last. <laughs> Or you can send us an email about how we've really lost the thread of things as <laughs> we've gone through the season. Um, <laughs> we'll email you back, probably like in agreement. But yeah, so let us know how you feel. <laughs> yeah, very that. Also, if this show brought you any love, light, delight, mm, yes, poetry, feel free to leave us some love wherever you are listening to this podcast, which could be Apple Podcasts or could be not. So leave us some love wherever you're listening to this show. We love a comment. We love a rating. We love a review. Mm -hmm. We love to see it. Also, too, if you know anyone (laughs) in your life that's like, you know what you need in your life? 
Um, <laughs> whatever this episode was, dot, 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 question mark. Like, if that's your tea, like, please just send them that message verbatim. Just send them a text. No context. Just send them this episode um, or mm. any our, our musings around... I don't know, just how er, er, there's animation within all of us and things of that nature. Certainly for this to folks who you think would really, who who would enjoy this conversation because we love to, we love to see it. We love to see the community um, grow and connect and become even more colorful. So we appreciate any and yeah. all efforts to support us in that. Thank you very much. We love you so much, especially since truly y'all could have done literally anything else but listen to this you chose to listen to us today so we love so love that love that for us thank you uh thank you we do we do so next time we're going to be getting into part two of the will writer there is a movie that like i don't know maybe we'll watch or like from 2002 i I feel like we said that for the ghost bride we're like oh like we might talk about it because the ghost bride i think is a show but that that didn't happen y'all are like what's happening anyway so um yeah so next time is part two but <laughs> between now and oh god between now and then Akko, are there any other things we should leave our listeners with before we head out no just until we see you next time just remember to stay, stay colorful, colorful.